Before we come to the outline and its detailed points on proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, I need to cover with you some basic and crucial matters concerning the kingdom of God and our life under the kingdom of God and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. As revealed in the scriptures, the kingdom of God has two main aspects. And we need to be clear concerning both of them. The first aspect is the kingdom of God is God's rule in a general way over the universe and everyone and everything in it. And this view of the kingdom is based upon the fact that with a kingdom, there are three components. There needs to be a ruler or a king. Then there needs to be territory in which this king rules. But it's not a kingdom if it's merely territory without subjects, people. So the kingdom of God is the rule of God over a certain territory, which is the universe, but specifically the earth, and over everything, but especially over human beings. This, we may say, is the objective aspect of the kingdom of God. It's to be in a realm where God rules, to honor and respect God's ruling, and to live as a subject under that. But there is another aspect, and this we would say is the life aspect of the kingdom. And even in our human speech, we have expressions like the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom. Well, say the plant kingdom, that's not a matter of some powerful plant ruling over all the others, some huge cactus or sequoia tree. The plant kingdom is the totality of the plant life with whatever plants do. Then we may speak of the animal kingdom, the same principle. That's not a matter of territory and one powerful animal ruling over others. The animal kingdom is the totality of the animal life with all the activities. And we may go further and speak of the kingdom of man or the human kingdom. The principle is the same. 
It is a kind of life that produces a realm in which that life thrives and operates. The same principle applies to the kingdom of God, especially as John addresses it in chapter 3 of his gospel. So the kingdom of God is a realm of life, is the realm of the divine life. But at first, the only one in this kingdom and the only one who has the life of God is God. There's not just one plant in the plant kingdom, one animal in the animal kingdom, one person in the human kingdom. But with God, his life produces a realm. Which realm is God himself? But only God himself is there. But his intention is that a vast number of human beings would enter into that realm of life. And in order for them to do that, they need to be born of God, to have the life of God. And this qualifies them to be in the kingdom of God as a realm of life. If we consider the ministry of the age as a whole, we will see that both sides are fully developed. There's the truth concerning God's rule, the millennial kingdom in which the overcomers will rule over the nations, the new Jerusalem as an eternal kingdom. And there is a parallel emphasis on the kingdom of God as a realm of the divine life. It's so sad that preachers, Bible teachers, theologians, when they teach from John 3, they interpret eternal life as being in heaven and you're born again to have this life to be in heaven. And they completely miss two matters, the bride and the kingdom. The central matters in God's economy. So once a person is regenerated in spirit, that person enters into the kingdom of God as a realm of life. So for now, I hope we're somewhat clear concerning the objective aspect, God's rule over the vast territory of the universe and over everyone and everything in it. And God expects, rightly, that everyone and everything be in compliance with his rule so that there's order allowing him to carry out his heart's desire. This is the first of the three matters I want to mention in this opening. The second is for us to be impressed 
that the Lord Jesus and the apostles and the early disciples announced the gospel of the kingdom. We read Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. The Lord came forth, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The Lord Jesus himself, when he preached the gospel, this was the gospel he preached. To me, it doesn't make any sense that all those who follow him, all the believers, would preach something else. But that is largely what has happened among dear brothers who appreciate Christ dying for our sins and being raised for our justification. But I don't know anywhere presently where someone is forcefully proclaiming the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the Lord himself explicitly said, this is the gospel that must be preached throughout the inhabited earth before the end of the age. Well, a second verse that emphasizes Jesus' own gospel preaching is in Luke 43, but I read 42 as the background. Uh, he departed and went into a desert place, and the crowd sought him, and they came up to him and tried to hold on to him so that he would not go away from them. But he said, I must announce the gospel of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this I was sent. He had a strong sense of commission. They wanted him to stay there with them. He said, no, I must announce the gospel of the kingdom and he didn't say to individuals, he said to cities. Maybe the Lord will enlighten us concerning this. We're not just, what, what do you call a resident of Dusseldorf? A Dusseldorfer, a Dusseldorfian? I kind of like Dusseldorfian, but that could be my invention. We're not only preaching to Dusseldorfers, According to the Lord's pattern, we're preaching to the city of Dusseldorf. This was the scope. When Jonah was charged to proclaim repentance, it wasn't just to Ninevites. It was to Nineveh. So the Lord may want to uplift our scope that we are addressing city by city in Europe with the gospel of the kingdom. 
Then Luke continues this line of thought in Acts. And I read three verses to show the continuation of this. In Acts chapter 1, We read this. I'd like to read the first two verses and then focus on verse 3. The former account I have made, O Theophilus, concerning all the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day on which he was taken up, after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he chose, to whom also he presented himself alive after his suffering by many irrefutable proofs, appearing to them through a period of 40 days and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. So in this transition, the Lord is speaking to these disciples, these apostles that are under his commission. And the Lord is appearing over 40 days. And what does he talk about? The things concerning the kingdom. Does this not show how crucial the kingdom is to the Lord? And how central this is to our gospel preaching. I'd like to read the note on, verse, on kingdom in verse 4. This proves that the kingdom of God would be the main subject of the apostles' preaching in their commission that was to come after Pentecost. It is not a material kingdom visible to human sight, but a kingdom of the divine life. It is the spreading of Christ as life to his believers to form a realm in which God rules in his life. Well, surely, I, I look forward and I hope when we're in the kingdom, or at least when we're in the new Jerusalem, we can have a time with the brothers that were there and say, what did the Lord say during those 40 days? The things concerning the kingdom. And Luke mentions this. Generally, evangelical Christianity neglects the kingdom of God. It is liberal Christianity that emphasizes the kingdom of God, but almost heretically. They mainly make a social application of it. But we need to come back and be duly impressed with the centrality of the kingdom in the gospel preaching of the Lord Jesus and the early disciples. After the persecution broke out in Jerusalem and all the believers were scattered except the apostles, 
Philip, one of the serving ones, was manifested as an evangelist. Sometimes our function may not be manifest until the Lord raises up a certain environment and then it becomes clear. So Philip is in Samaria and chapter 8 verse 12 says, but when they believed Philip, who announced the gospel of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So Philip had obviously been trained. And he was an evangelist. And he announced the gospel of the kingdom and of the name of Jesus Christ. He, we read Acts 1-3. Well, that's almost the absolute beginning of the book. So we can say, that's verse 3. Acts begins with an emphasis on the kingdom. Okay, here's the last verse in Acts. 28-31, regarding Paul. All right, start with verse 30. And he remained two whole years in his own rented dwelling and welcomed all those who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So anyone who came, Paul would proclaim the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the Lord Jesus this is the account in Acts. We are in the Lord's recovery. The principle of recovery is that what was in the beginning and has been neglected, we need to be brought back to that because what God had in the beginning is what his original intention was. Okay, now I want to turn to the third matter. And this is based upon this principle that we considered when we were talking about the gospel of the glory of Christ. Christ needs to shine into us more and more. And we need to behold his glory more and more. The more he shines, the more we behold, the more he shines out of us. It's not simply that we have a new vocabulary and we just speak about Christ being the image of God and the expression of God. That will not mean much if it means anything if it's not accompanied by an actual shining out of us. So as we are speaking, we are shining. In other words, we have to be what we are proclaiming. And we have to be progressing in what we are proclaiming in order to have the reality of that. Now we are to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. Then what should be taking place in us in a gradual basis, 
because this is a matter of life. We need to understand something of the Lord's recovery of fallen human beings and of the reality of the kingdom in the life of believers. So here is a sketch. And my main source is a section in the book, The Experience of Life. In the chapter on the conscience, Brother Lee presents this. It's very enlightening. When man was created and there was no sin, he was in the direct presence of God and lived under the direct rule of God, mainly through the intuition and fellowship of his spirit. The conscience in its function was activated later to monitor us, to try to preserve us from sin. So God's intention in the beginning was that the man created to express him and represent him would live directly under his rule. When sin came in and they were thrust out of the garden, man fell from the direct rule of God to the rule of conscience. And some say that's the dispensation of conscience. There was no human government on earth for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the people should have taken heed to their conscience, but hardly anyone did. It's only the line of the descendants on the positive side of Adam, you know, Seth and the others. Overall, the society was full of violence and chaos. So after the flood, human government was established. And we know this by the verse which says, if a man takes human blood, by man will his blood be taken. That indicates if someone commits a crime like that, then he is subject to human government. If God hadn't established human government, there would just be unspeakable chaos. So we fell from the direct rule of God to the rule of conscience, from the rule of conscience to human government. And a lot of people don't do that well with human government. But eventually they're forced to. So when we believed into the Lord and received the divine life and cleared our past and were forgiven and cleansed, a journey of recovery began. If in any way we were wrong with human government, the Lord will lead us to rectify that. I was in a meeting where one dear brother, he testified along this line. He received a summons from the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, to show up for an audit. This was not long after he got saved. 
And he walked into that office and surely the employees heard something they had never heard before. He walked in and shouted and said, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I did it. They're wondering, what are you talking about? He said, I cheated. I cheated. I did wrong. I have to make this right. And then we are brought to conscience. And this is a crucial experience in the experience of life and a crucial stage in our life with the Lord. To have a conscience void of offense, to have a good conscience, a pure conscience. Paul said, I always exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense. So this is a lifelong exercise. But, and now we come to a point, we have to be very clear. I need to be clear, and you, you need to become clear. If we are trained by the Lord to live according to our conscience, that is real progress. We don't need a police patrol car visible in our mirror in order to control the speed of our driving. We have an inner monitor, the conscience, um, letting us know. And here's another real story. A, a dad who's a brother was riding in the car with his young son. And then the son asked his dad a question. Dad, we obey the law, don't we? And dad says, yes. Then the boy said, then why do we have a radar detector in the car? So I'm pretty sure that brother's conscience was touched and the radar detector was removed. And so we do need to have a thorough exercise of dealing with the conscience. And I, now I repeat the but. Two things can happen. And the desirable thing rarely happens. What often happens, and I'm talking about us now, is that we stay here under the rule of the conscience and become really good people. Ethical, moral, to the uttermost. With just a very high standard of ethics. And we, as soon as our conscience prompts us, we are troubled and we take care of it. But if we stop here, we will never in our lifetime live the life of a God-man. We'll only live the life of a good man. God-men are recovered to the direct rule of God. This is what the kingdom is. 
It's the direct rule of God over your inner being. That's why I selected him 942. And stanzas 2 and 3 speak of Christ is enthroned within our hearts to regulate our words and deeds and all of our inward parts. This does not mean we can ever be loose and careless with our conscience. Paul lived under the direct rule of God. Remember that event recorded in Acts when he was appearing before the religious tribunal and uh, he spoke something and someone slapped his face. He said, why do you slap me, you whitewashed wall? And someone said, is that the way you speak to the high priest? Paul realized, I I think he made a mistake. And he said, I didn't know he was the high priest. It's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Then he wanted to speak about the exercise of his conscience. But here Luke is observing this, recording this for millions of people to read. And Paul was said, yes, I always exercise my conscience when there's conviction there. But my basic relationship is directly with God under his rule. And how the Lord will shepherd you from the rule of conscience to the direct rule of God, I can't say. I can only give you a general testimony. One way he did this in me was to smash all self-righteousness and to eliminate all attempts of self-perfection and to show that God wants something more than our kind of righteousness and self-perfection without ever neglecting our conscience. The Lord wants to shepherd us back to live in the divine life directly under the rule of God, mainly through the intuition and the fellowship function of our spirit with the conscience bearing witness that we are right with God. This is a huge difference. And there is a significant line of ministry and brotherly ministers on the God-man living. So not just, quote, spiritual, not just biblical, not just ethical, cultural, moral. All that an unbeliever can have. We need to be brought back to the direct rule of God. And there's two aspects of the inner sense when you know you're under the direct rule of God, in addition to the general sense of peace. According to Revelation 22, 
The river of water of life is flowing from the throne. And that river is bright as crystal. So when we have the sense that life is flowing in us in a bright way, and this flow is coming from the throne of God in our hearts, that flow, that river, is an indicator. You are under the direct rule of God. If you're only living under the rule of your conscience, then you will have peace there. But you won't have the flow of life there. You'll have peace because your conscience is at rest. Another aspect is seen in the Gospels where the Lord says, prior to his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, some of you will see the kingdom of God coming in power. You won't die until you see this. So then he went to the mountain. He was transfigured before them. His face was shining like the sun. So let's put together the shining of his face and his word you will see the kingdom. That equals the kingdom is Jesus shining over you. When you have the inner sense of direct light shining in your heart and that light is regulating you, your thoughts, your words, your inward parts. Okay, this is what we call the reality of the kingdom. The hymn we sang, 942, God's kingdom on the earth is now his sovereign government within. So the church life is the practicality of the kingdom. This inner life is the reality of the kingdom. And it is the combination of the two, living in the church life, in the practicality of the kingdom, living under the direct rule of God to have the reality of the kingdom. This gives us the ground and the standing to confront rebellion, rampant rebellion, and proclaim a gospel that requires people to change their way of thinking, that is to repent, and to believe the gospel and to come back to God and his rule. But if we ourselves <clears throat> are in neither the practicality nor the reality of the kingdom, but try to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the enemy will laugh in our face. And sometimes the enemy speaks. Demons can speak through people. They may say, you yourself, you're not in the kingdom. You're telling me to be in the kingdom. But when we have a measure of the reality and are living in the practicality, <clears throat> then we carry out the Lord's 
commission. Then we have the standing to share with a fellow human being how you need to return to God and his rule. Then two other matters related to this personal side. And I've shared this, especially when I was requested to speak to young adults. I would be concerned, and I'm still concerned. What do you seek first? The Lord's word to us is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. And we need to allow the Lord to care for us and grow in us in such a way that we can testify to the universe, of course, in faith. I seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is first. The kingdom of God is Christ himself as the kingdom seat. The kingdom of God is God himself ruling. The kingdom of God is the prevailing of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is the growth of the divine life. The kingdom of God is the church life. To seek first the kingdom of God is to seek God, Christ, the Spirit, life, and the church. That I was asked a question in the question and response time about what can you do to encourage Americans to come to Europe? And I spoke along a certain line, which I don't retract. But I I would add, they need to be recovered to seeking the kingdom first. Because many are in the church, but it's family first. It's career first. It's their obsession with health first. It's money first. When the Lord spoke that word, he's contrasting us with all the Gentiles that are driven by anxiety. And the Lord is indicating, you don't be anxious, you have a father, seek his kingdom first. If we are to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we ourselves need to have the reality to support the testimony, I seek first the kingdom. This morning I had the feeling to send a brief email to a precious saint, very succinct, I said, By the Lord's mercy, we seek first the kingdom of God. And I just love seeking the kingdom of God first, along with you. I can say this to the demons, to the devil himself, all because of the Lord's mercy. 
I seek first the kingdom of God. So this is related to the inward reality. But it is a fact when the church has various degrees of degradation that dear brothers and sisters are in the church, they're not going to leave the church, they're rather quite dutiful, but actually the kingdom is not first. You tell me if a husband and wife who are parents themselves seek the kingdom of God first, why would they forbid their daughter or son to attend the FTT? The reason they forbid them and say, let the typical Americans go. That's for them. We have to be practical. Nice words. It means we have to have something first other than the kingdom. Like your profession, like your career, like getting married earlier than you're likely to do if you're a trainee for two years. One day the light will shine on these kind of saints. But it may be at the judgment seat. The kingdom is of utmost importance to God and to Christ himself. It needs to be equally important to us. And then we need to realize that the kingdom addresses the fundamental problem among humankind that is rebellion against the rule of God. And we are here to represent God with his authority to subdue the earth and to bring the kingdom to the earth. And sooner or later, somewhere, somehow, the Lord will gain a group of brothers and sisters who will do this. There's a young couple. The Lord brought them together. They love each other. They get married. They have no idea what they're doing, which is the best way. You just learn by doing. They're still in their 20s, but something is settled in their being. Our life together is for the kingdom of God. If we have children, we will raise them for the kingdom of God. My job, according to God's law, we have to work, of course. But I don't have a career. I have a profession or a trade for the kingdom of God. And then finally, I would draw your attention to Colossians 1.13. Because the enemy lies, misrepresents God, instills in us a fear of being under God's rule. That is actually his own fear. Fear. 
It's his kingdom that's terrifying. The kingdom of God is called the kingdom of the son of his love. It is indescribably delightful and pleasant. It is the kingdom of the son with the many sons. And God delights in the many sons even as he delights in his son. And the love that God has for his son, he now has for the sons. In this realm is delightful. It's full of enjoyment. And yes, we are ruled by what? Love. By light. By life. There's no fear. No fear. No rod of iron here. No suppression here. We're under the direct rule of God and we've never been happier because the kingdom of the Son of God's love is the most enjoyable place in the whole universe. But Paul contrasts this with the authority of darkness. That's what dominates in Europe in the lives of millions and millions, in the lives of the refugees. And we are here to effect a transfer in your life. If you'll give us an ear or a few minutes, we will show you how you can be transferred out of the authority of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. Because we are in this realm as we're talking to you. There's a river flowing in us. There's a light shining in us. We are in the realm of unspeakable delight. Here there's no division. There's no enmity. There's no war. There's no prejudice. There's no hatred. All these things are gone. They're all part of the authority of darkness. Wouldn't you want to join us here? Yes, how can I do it? Okay. Well, you need to be born again. You need to be born of God in a deep part of your being called your spirit. And when you're born of God, you will see the kingdom of God and then if you obey the command to be baptized, you will then enter into the kingdom of God and you will find yourself in a completely different universe. We had something came out in prayer before the meeting. And the prayer was, Lord, please bring us to the point in Europe where every day at least one person enters into the kingdom of God. Amen. Can we all say amen to this? Amen. At least one, every day, every day. 
And we start with one. I believe the momentum will pick up. And we won't limit. Every day, maybe this time it's in Portugal, then it's in Czech, or it's in Slovakia, it's in Finland, it's in Germany. It doesn't matter, we're not in competition. But I think corporately we have the faith for this. Bring us into a situation where every day of the year, somewhere in Europe, someone is born of God, is transferred out of the authority of darkness, and is brought into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And now, we don't have to be in a state of spiritual perfection before we can announce this gospel. Otherwise, no one would be announcing this gospel. We just need to have a realization where we are and where we're going and to open our being to the Lord and to let him rule in us, to shine in us, to flow in us, and he will give us the experiences we need to recover us from human government to conscience, from conscience to the direct rule of God. That is the kingdom of God in its reality. Then we will learn to live our human life in any circumstance. Some asked me in the early months after Susan died, how I was doing. And I said, of course, I'm suffering the loss, but I'm not ruled by it. Death does not reign. The loss does not reign. Life reigns. God reigns. And neither am I defined by this experience either. So we can testify that the divine life is so prevailing that if we're open, we can be under the Lord's direct rule in any situation and every situation. And now this life is growing in us and flourishing in us So we're all in the process and we're all in the practicality. But then corporately, we stand in this reality and practicality. So we go way beyond where any of us is personally. And we speak from the reality of the body of Christ. And we stand in this reality, flowing out the divine life, clothed with the power of the Spirit. And we let our dear fellow human beings know you need to be in another kingdom. You fled Syria. You fled Iraq. You fled Iran. You wanted to be in another realm to have a better human life. We understand why you would do this. But actually, that's a picture. You do need to be in another realm but not merely Germany. You need to be in the realm of God. 
That is where the wealth is. That is where the security is. Okay, now we can read through the outline. The kingdom of God is a divine sphere for God to work out his plan. So we're in this sphere. So this means that whatever God plans for us, we let him work out. Will you let him do that? Or is this a little scary? If it's scary, then say, Lord, I'll open this much. And he would say, this much is good. I'll start with this much. I'm not going to pry you open. Because what he has planned, I'm just looking at a dear couple I met a couple years ago. They had a certain situation in their life. Now they're both here. Now they're married. I just rejoice to see them. I believe the best is ahead. There'll be blessing upon blessing on both of you. So God has a plan. But we need to be in the realm where he can work it out. It is a realm where God can exercise his authority to accomplish whatever he intends. So if the kingdom is in you, then God can do whatever he intends. I, I do know it's kind of frightening for some when in my speaking I would say and testify, Lord, I'd like to live before you in this way. You do whatever you want. Whatever's in your heart concerning me. I say amen to it. Whatever you intend. Not what you allow. What you ordain. No matter what it is. No matter who it is. No matter when it is. This is to be in the kingdom. Where the Lord is now free to exercise his authority by flowing and shining, to accomplish what he intends. I was very much helped by a prayer of Brother, nee, Brother Lee that was in one of his life studies. He's inquiring of the Lord. He said, Lord, what is in your heart concerning me? When we live in the kingdom, we will pray like this. Lord, whatever is in your heart concerning me, I say amen. My inner being is a realm where you can work out your plan. My heart is a sphere where you can accomplish what you intend. So please, Lord, be free to do whatever you will. Two, as God incarnate, the Lord Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. To establish a realm in which God can carry out his purpose through the exercise of his authority. Well, he himself, we know from Luke 17, was the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is in your midst, who is in the midst of the Lord Jesus. So he came to establish this kingdom by sowing the seed of the kingdom into human hearts 
and by his all-inclusive death, destroying the devil and nullifying his kingdom. So this was his mission, to sow himself into us and reproduce himself in life as the kingdom. Three says the fundamental problem in the universe is rebellion against the authority of God. So in the previous message, we saw how Satan is the real rebel, but that rebellious element has been injected into all of us. Satan intends to violate God's sovereignty, usurp God's authority, overthrow God's throne, and establish his own kingdom. That's what he intends. And he wants to do that in human beings, usurping them. The human beings God created for his purpose. When man fell, he rebelled against God, put God's authority aside, denied God's authority, and rejected God's rule. So we should not be shocked when we meet this mindset and attitude in the people we contact. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be dismayed. These are precisely the persons we want to contact. You are exactly the ones we came here to disciple. And if you're willing to give us a hearing, you know, we're not going to preach at you. We'd like to share something with you. And the Lord will lead us to announce the kingdom in the name of the Lord Jesus. We bear witness what a blessing it is to have the Lord living in us, to have his throne in us, to tell someone, you know, while I'm talking to you, I have a river flowing in me. Then you may say, I'm going to tell you something about my heart. Okay? You probably never heard someone talk to you about their heart. I have a Proverbs 22.1 heart. You say, What's Proverbs? Oh, wow. That's a, a book in the Old Testament. <clears throat> the verse says, <clears throat> The heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wills. So a king is one ruling. But the king himself, in his heart, is under God's rule. His heart is in the Lord's hands, and the Lord directs his heart as he wills. I believe the Lord will train us, he will perfect us, we will learn by doing how to announce such a gospel. Because we are praying, and we're not giving a starting date to the Lord. But, Lord, before long, bring us to the point where every day at least one person in Europe experiences this transfer. 
then I believe our faith will increase, our prayers will increase, the answers will increase. So our faith will increase, our prayer will increase, the answers will increase. There's no limit to this cycle. Okay, point four. Through the gospel of the kingdom, God brings people under the ruling of the heavenly authority so that they may become his kingdom, those who are ruled by his authority. So that's the object, to confront his fundamental problem and to rescue people out of the authority of darkness, bring them into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. The New Testament preaches the gospel in the way of the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is the real gospel, to know the gospel requires that we know the kingdom. So some of us may be inclined and led by the Lord to study the kingdom in relation to the gospel. Because this point is saying, really, The kingdom is the gospel. And the gospel is for the kingdom. B, the gospel is for the kingdom. And the gospel is proclaimed so that rebellious sinners might be saved, qualified, and equipped to enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, don't be dismayed if you meet a rebellious sinner, because that's all there is over the whole earth, okay? Christ came into the world to save rebellious sinners. So let me just do a little faith check. You don't have to have huge faith, just a little bit of faith, like a grain of mustard seed. Do you believe that the Lord is able to save rebellious sinners? No matter how strong the rebellion is, there's something about the Lord and his gospel that is able to rescue them. And just who knows what kind of dynamic salvation many are about to experience. And who knows what kind of testimony they're going to start bearing among their own people. Once they're saved in this way, they're not ashamed to say it. I've been transferred. I'm in the kingdom of the Son of God's love. I enjoy God ruling in my heart. One, the, king, the gospel of life the gospel of grace and the gospel of salvation are all for the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom is the center, the hub. This is a truth. It's a word on the page. It has to govern us. When we think of the gospel, when we pray concerning the gospel, we should have the realization the center, the hub, is the kingdom. We're not going to go on preaching gospel light, L-I-T-E. And 
I hope I don't say something that would be misunderstood and not benefit you. Yes, Romans 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we are not extracting that and just telling someone, just call on the Lord Jesus twice and that's it. It's all you need to do. That isn't all they need to do. And that's not all they need to hear. We like to hear that when they call on the Lord, they're calling on the one who is about to transfer them out from under the authority of Satan into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. Oh Lord Jesus, save me, transfer me. I believe in you, Lord. Jesus is Lord. Make me a child of God. Forgive me, Lord. We need to have a powerful, dynamic gospel. Not by a movement, not by big gospel meetings primarily, but by having an impact because our own vision is expanded and our own reality is increasing. Two, the gospel of the kingdom brings people not only into God's salvation, but also into the kingdom. The emphasis of the gospel of the kingdom is on the heavenly ruling of God and the authority of the Lord. The gospel of the kingdom brings the believers into the realm of the divine ruling so that they may participate in the blessings of the divine life in the divine kingdom. So we ourselves need to have some experience of the blessings in this realm. What a blessing just to be here. Simply to be here is a blessing. And in this realm, everything here is ours as an inheritance. In one sense, you hardly have to pray. You just open your being and the grace comes, the love comes, the light comes, the peace comes, the endurance comes, the forbearance comes. It's all there. And you're a citizen. You have birthright. It's all for you to enjoy. So you yourself are living in the realm of blessing. So then you can say, do you know where I live? Yes, and where do you live? You know where I live? I live in the realm of blessings. <laughs> the Lord may give us all kinds of openers like this. You're not preaching at them. You're having a conversation. Realm of blessings. What is that? And you may say, well, like you, I used to live in a, a realm of darkness, death, deception, delusion, and division. But I got a transfer. I got transferred out of there into another realm, and that's called the kingdom of God. And I've been learning day by day, it's a realm full of blessing. And whether you believe it or not, I care about you, and I care for you that you would at least consider 
following some simple steps we'll lay out for you, that you can join us in the kingdom of blessing, and we'll live together here forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I think many hearts will be touched. And the Lord will give us the prayers to open the way, powerful prayers, binding and loosing prayers. See, in Matthew, the goal of the gospel of the kingdom is to set up the kingdom of the heavens by putting people into the triune God, making them citizens of the kingdom of the heavens. This should be our view of baptism. We are now making you heavenly citizens, kingdom people, by putting you under the water and bringing you out of the water. We are bringing you out of one realm into another realm. This is a testimony to the universe. You are about to make the greatest transfer in your life. And we will welcome you into the kingdom of God. Five, as believers in Christ, we have been regenerated to enter into the kingdom of God as the realm of the divine species, to live under the rule of God in life, light, and love. Remember I mentioned early, initially in the kingdom of God as a realm of life, only God was there. So only God was of the divine species. But surely, a human child is of the same species as his parents. That, that's not some kind of amazing truth. It's, it's so normal. Well, you are actually born of God. To be God-mankind. And now you're in the realm of the divine species. Everyone here is of the same divine species. We've all been born of God and we're all in the process of becoming God in life, nature, constitution, and expression, but of course, not in the Godhead. So this is a realm of deification. We have been born into the kingdom of God, and now the divine life in our spirit knows the kingdom of God. This is a crucial point. The divine life is the life of the divine kingdom. And this divine life is in our spirit. So the divine life in our spirit knows the kingdom of God. It recognizes it and lets us know when we are in this realm experientially and when we're not. It knows. The kingdom of God into which we have entered through regeneration is a realm of the divine species. We're not just citizens under a government. We are a species in an organic realm. So we share the life and nature of God. We have entered into this divine realm by being born of God to become children of God. God-men who have the life and nature of God. This is probably the deepest understanding of the kingdom as a realm of life. Everyone here is born of God. 
So we are of the divine species. Now the divine life in our spirit recognizes the kingdom of God and the law of the spirit of life within us is now shaping us, forming us to become the duplication of the firstborn son of God. So God will have the kingdom formerly just the triune God was in this realm and was this realm. Now there are millions and millions of regenerated children of God bearing his image, representing him, who are the same species, but only he has the Godhead and only he is the object of worship. See, through regeneration, okay. Yeah, through regeneration, we have been transferred into the delightful kingdom of the Son of God's love. A realm where we are ruled in love with life, or we may say with light. The kingdom in which we find ourselves is a realm full of life, light, and love. So this is the proper understanding of the verse, but increasingly, that proper understanding needs to be our inward reality. Some of us, by birth, I would call our happiness challenged. We're just serious, kind of morbid, maybe pessimists. I used to think joyful people were all idiots. <laughs> My reasoning was you're avoiding the absurdity and meaninglessness of this universe into which we've been thrown. And if you recognize what is always oozing out of this abyss, how on earth are you going to be happy? So you should become deep and miserable like me. But I had to repent of that. And especially when I heard that Brother Nee, after all that suffering, said, I maintain my joy. I had a complete reversal. I now testify the deepest people are those who enjoy the Lord. Amen. And so whether by our disposition, you know, we're happy, we're smiley, we're positive, or we got some other kind of disposition, we are being saved from that, and we are in a realm where we're ruled by life, light, and love. And even the most morose of us eventually are going to get really happy in Jesus. Amen. This is one joyful place. Amen. Now the last section and the conclusion of our conference. It's been a precious time, hasn't it? Thank the Lord. We worship him. 
The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole inhabited earth for a testimony to all the nations before the end of this age. This preaching signified by the white horse of the first seal in Revelation 6, 1 and 2 will be a sign of the consummation of this age. So are the activation of our proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom is a very crucial matter in fulfilling this verse. We're here in Europe to do this, to work this out, to be part of this sign of the approaching consummation of the age. To disciple the nations is to make the heathen, the kingdom people, for the establishing of his kingdom, which is the church, even today, on this earth. The intrinsic purpose of our preaching the gospel is to bring people of the nations into the triune God in order to make them citizens of the kingdom of the heavens. I believe we have seen at least something of how the gospel is related to the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. We were created to express him with his image. We fell short of God's glory. We have been saved through the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We were created to represent God with his authority to bring in his kingdom, but we fell and sin in us was lawlessness. But we have been saved from lawlessness and rebellion. We've been born of God. We're in the kingdom of God. Now we can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the glory of Christ, the gospel that is the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. Amen. Praise the Lord for such a gospel. Amen. Thank him for such a light. Amen. We just say, amen, Lord. Amen, amen. amen. Work this out in Europe to the glory of God amen. and to the utter defeat of the enemy. Amen. So let's pray along this line and then the brothers will direct our sharing.